This episode of The Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf, is brought to you by Half Day. If you played in the Stinger, our annual member guest, you may remember the Half Day CBD Closest to the Pin Hickory Challenge. Now, through the link in our show notes, you can visit their full line of hemp-derived CBD products, and with the use of the promo code NEWCLUB15, you'll receive an additional 15% off your first order. I'll be back a little later in the show to share my personal experiences with Half Day. And if you're curious about the benefits of CBD for yourself, I encourage you guys to check them out. Dan Cermak, welcome to The Bag Drop. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for being with us. It's a very timely discussion with you today as we'll be diving into uh, the history of Downers Grove, Downers Grove Golf Club and uh, the rich history that you guys have there. But before we do that, you know, your last name, Cermak, I, I've, it's pretty common for Chicago. I've met, or at least it is for me, I've met a lot of Cermaks uh, before. I don't know if any of them are related to you, but you have one fairly famous relative. Is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, Anton Cermak, the mayor of Chicago in the early 30s. Um, actually, the, uh, he's credited with creating the Democratic machine in Chicago, where the original Mayor Daley was one of his precinct people. Um, he, um, th this is during the Capone years. Um, however, uh, Anton um, met with a demise in Miami Beach when he and FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, we're in a motorcade and an assassin came up and the story goes that um, the assassin was aiming for Roosevelt but we actually think he in the family we actually think they were aiming for Cermak um, but who knows uh, it makes for interesting reading I'm sure if your uh, podcast listeners would like to listen to it they can or, or research it they can they can find out uh, varying opinions of the story on, on Google but it's it's a pretty interesting history I, I went straight to the Google machine when you told me that earlier. And Did you? what a, uh, um, that's a whole nother podcast. We could probably take this hour and, and spend it talking yeah. about your, your ancestor right there. Well, you probably know more about it at this point than I do, but I, I do know he started, Tony Cermak started out a, uh, running a, a fruit stand, a push cart. They called him push cart Tony. Amazing. And eventually became mayor of Chicago. Uh, and the Democratic machine still works, so he he, he yeah. set it he set it up good, good to last, I guess. Right. Um, and and so yourself, so uh, we were just talking before we came on that uh, you actually spent thirty seven years with the Park District in Downer Grove, mm -hmm. um, qu quite a career. Yeah, it was. I I, uh, I enjoyed every minute of it. I started my career at the golf course, which is probably where I got interested in the history of the course. Um, Worked my way up um, in a relatively short period of time, and eventually became the uh, uh, the executive director of the district, um, which I'm very proud of. We we did a nice job. I've been retired about seven or eight years now, um, and it's uh, very hard to be retired sometimes because I I uh, I still live in the community that I grew up in, and I eventually ran the park district in, and uh, so I'm I'm very involved in the community. That's something to, to most definitely be proud of. I, I think uh, our generation, I, I hear someone's been in the same you know, career path for 
uh, f- almost four decades. I, I usually don't believe it, you know, just with the way that we change jobs nowadays. I actually I get very jealous of of that type of uh, career. And and I don't blame you. I would be jealous of that too because I, I'll tell you what it's uh, the stability and and the. Um, uh, I was a mile away from work every day, one mile. So my, my commute time was five minutes there and five minutes back. Uh, and what a wonderful opportunity to live and grow up in the, uh, the community you end up working in. I actually went to college in this community too. Wow. Where'd you go to college? Went to college at uh, a now defunct college, George Williams College, um, which was a, a public administration park and recreation college. And uh, that's where I got my degree back in 1976. Fantastic. I have to ask, uh, just because it's, it's a very popular show amongst, at least in my household, uh, are you familiar with Parks and Recreation? Yeah, yes, I am. If, if you had to compare yourself to any of the characters in Parks and Recreation over your thir- illustrious career, uh, who would you most identify with? Uh, none of them. <laughs> There's a different, Illinois has a very interesting system where, where that show was based on a, a village government system, which a department is parks and recreation. Illinois is unique and we're, we're very good at this. We have independent uh, political bodies that run park and recreation districts. So we're just like a school district. We're just like a village. Mm. We have our own boundaries. We create our own taxes. And we control our, we're, we're autonomous from everybody else, which really is um, beneficial to the residents of Illinois because we can focus on parks and recreation and not streets and sanitation. Yeah. Wow. It's, okay. it's, I, it's, 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 it's a great deal. It really is. I did not realize that. That does sound like a totally different setup than what I was, what, what I was thinking. But uh, I was hoping you'd also say, you know, you, you would end or start every day with a glass of whiskey like Ron Swanson, but that's okay. No, but I do end every day with a glass of whiskey. Like <laughs> in retirement, I'm sure. That, in, in retirement. That's great. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's changed course to the golf course. So okay. um, the, the timing of this, we, we wanted to have you on because our members are uh, going to be playing Downers Grove Golf Club in something we've titled the Western Suburbs Open. Uh, and and like how we like to do is, is just give people a little bit more uh, information about where we're going, where we're, where we're at, why we're there, what the importance of certain places are, what, what the kind of interesting facts of them are. And um, there's no shortage of that at, at Downers Grove with, uh, with it being so historic dating back to 1892. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to first ask, and you mentioned it, you know, how did you first get into the history? It sounds like your career started at the golf course, but, but how did you, you know, when you started in that role, did you know that it was this place with so many ties to, to the past or, or uh, was it new to you then? No, it was very new to me. I, I had no idea. Uh, Downers Grove was, and when, I, when I came in in 1978, um, the course had been mismanaged for many years. Uh, the fairways were gone. The greens were spotty. Um, the tees were um, not level and, uh, of course, in bad shape. Uh, there had been no real um, emphasis on conditions at that golf course for many years. So when, when I got in there, uh, and, and they were charging, I, I, th- I think at the time when I started, they were charging two bucks a round. 
or or $2.50 around for a resident. They didn't even have resident or non-resident rates. They just charge you two fifty and a twenty five cents for a pull cart. Well we got out there and it was it was a cow pasture. And um and, and I hate to hate to say that, but but the facts are what they were. And the rounds were down and um it created a great challenge for me as I as I assimilated into the position and after a year or maybe two we started the ball rolling to improve the situation at Downers Grove. And during that course of time, I, of course, began to learn about the history of the golf course. And at that point, I didn't know it was the first 18. Uh, At that point, I probably only knew that we needed to improve it. And the Chicago Golf Club had once um, had their home at Downers Grove or Belmont back in those days when they called it. Um, And then we started on a 20-year transition. And had we not done that, um, there, there's a, another podcast called Fried Egg, and I'm very critical of the improvements we've made at Downers Grove. But let me take you back to, to, to what they said. And basically, the, the fellow said that um, we should not have changed a thing. We should not have planted trees. Just don't change anything. But I don't think he really thought of He's a golf course architecture guy. I don't think he really thought about what he was saying. Because if we wanted 1892 conditions or 1893 conditions, guess what we'd have today? We'd have a housing development because it wouldn't be a golf course because no one would come to it except maybe this guy. Interesting. <laughs> so as, as the improvements we made were to keep it as a golf course, to improve conditions, to generate play and enjoyment, uh, for people that love the game of golf, and that's what we tried to do. And uh, in, eight, in 1992, we did a, a massive earth move where we changed a couple of holes around, and we put in uh, some new irrigation, all new USJ spec greens. Uh, all tees were improved, um, and of course, uh, of course, the, the play has responded accordingly. We lengthened the golf course also. On, we we provided multiple tee applications. And yeah. we, have, we have four or five or six tees on one hole because we want to cover every level of golfer. Uh, and I think they're, I'm pushing for plans to even put some additional tees in because we missed the boat on a few holes. But, yeah. but we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. I, I think there's, there's this, um, and we have plenty of you know, architecture enthusiasts amongst our, our membership. Actually, that gentleman you're talking about is an honorary member of, of our golf society. But I think... You, you raise a really valid point about course conditions and there's a necessity, you know, a, a beyond the romantic idea of uh, a restoration and, you know, returning these courses to their um, original intent by people like Charles Blair McDonald and, and others. There's the reality that fairways need to drain, that bunkers need to, to drain that uh, grass needs to grow and be and be cut well, and and I'm sure uh, the position you were sitting in at that time, it sounds like, was we got to get we got to get to that point before before anything else. Is that is that kind of what took precedence? Is getting well, the place to be playable? Um, not only playable, but playable uh, with great conditions. You know, at that point, we were probably, and, and this is back in the boom years of golf, uh, and we were probably at that point when I first started running maybe 30,000 rounds of golf. By the year 2001, we were running 59,000 rounds of golf. Amazing. 
but you have to do that in order to provide, you know, our job is parks and recreation. It wasn't historical restoration. It wasn't uh, create greens like Charles Blair McDonald had because believe me, they were like greens in your backyard that they cut short. They weren't bent grass, they weren't poana. They were simply areas that they pushed up soil and threw some grass seed down and tried to cut them as low as they could. Uh, they were not prime condition um, greens. They weren't anything like we have today. And yeah. McDonald's, McDonald's opinion was do nothing to sand traps. You know, right. run, run a herd of cows through them and, and that's how you play the sand trap. You didn't have rake bunkers. You know, like, like we, we watched the, 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 uh, the PGA tournaments. You know, I wish every golf course in America, every public muni had the time and effort to put that kind of sand in a sand trap as well as rake them every day for to, to provide the same kind of conditions that these pro golfers have because they they play under much better conditions than we do i don't mm. care who you are you can't afford it yeah tournament tournament conditions are nothing like daily conditions anywhere except for perhaps private clubs i'm not sure well we'll just just go the inverse and buy some cows and let them march through the bunkers what's <laughs> that's that's there's a quote and I, I don't have mcdonald's quote on it but but it is something like run a herd of elephants through them and, and never touch them um, and that that was his attitude uh so take us back to to that time because i know you've you've um worked through uh, much of your you've been very dedicated to uncovering the the, the correct history of the golf course um so the formation uh, and building at the club, give us kind of the background on what, why was, uh, why did Charles Blair and, and the small group of, of folks from the Chicago club decide this was where they wanted to build uh, the first 18 hole golf course in America or the first nine holes, I guess what they started with. I, I, I don't know that, that uh, this is, this is the book that I was referring you to. And I, I know we're doing a podcast, but it's Scotland's gift to golf. Um, and it's it's all outlined in there, and it's it's a fantastic read. Um, from what I understand, uh, after reading these materials by others, not by myself, um, the eighteen ninety two World's Fair was coming to Chicago. I believe it was called the Columbian Exposition. And McDonald was a golf enthusiast, and and he knew this. Uh, I think as a commissioner from England was coming over. His last name was Wood. And he came over and brought with him some clubs, and they asked McDonald to build a, a seven-hole layout at uh, Senator Farwell's estate in Lake Forest, which they did. And, and McDonald got his friends turned on to this, finally, after many efforts, because he was a golfer. He had golfed at St. Andrews and uh, Hoy Lake and some of the clubs in England. Uh, he got him turned on to it. And... Um, after building the Farwell course and introducing them to a very, uh, there were seven short holes, but after introducing them to the game, they kind of got excited about it. Um, so he got his club members together. They were members of a club called the Chicago Club. And there were donations, depending on the story you read, it's anywhere from 10 to $20 per member. And they pooled their money. He got them to finally, um, contribute. And I believe uh, they leased the property out in Downers Grove because McDonald knew this guy. His name was Haddow Smith. And they said he was from Musselburgh, Scotland. 
and they came out and he had a sheep farm or a sheep ranch, uh, a sheep operation out there. Um, and some of the trees that separated the pastures are still out there. When you're out there Saturday, you'll see um, on hole number five in the back of the green and on hole number eight on the right side, you'll see a row or two of Osage orange trees. Those are the big oranges that are the big balls that you see in the fall. I'm not, I'm not sure if you've seen them, but they, they drop and deer eat them. And yeah. Anyways, the Osage were used to separate the pastures back in the day. And you'll, you'll see some of the remnants. They're, they're much reduced from what they were uh, because as time goes on, uh, the tree lines have depleted and died off. But there's still a few remnants out there. So you'll see them. Um, and also on the left side of the eighth, eighth green, you'll see a row of three or four uh, additional Osage orange. But um, anyways, um, I believe they leased the land from him and perhaps some others because there were holes that we've determined have gone off what we call today the course. Um, but I don't know why they chose that particular spot. I, I can only assume that there's there's nothing in the literature that I've read. Uh, I can only assume that McDonald knew this fella and um, had uh, an in with him to lease, lease the land. So that's what they did. They played cards, they drank, um, they gambled, uh, and they played golf and eventually built a clubhouse and, uh, you know, had, I'm sure, quite a time of it out there. So, sounds a lot like golfers in present day. Yes, it does. Uh, that yes, behavior. Does. Um, you know, I, I wonder if the train line was there at that time, uh, because the, the land is, is unique. In most of Illinois, as we know, is uh, fairly flat and surrounding Chicago is fairly flat. Um, out your way in Downers, it gets a little bit of uh, land movement, but uh, when you pull in the parking lot and you pull, pull around on the first tee, you do notice, oh, wow, this is a topography. Yeah. This is significant topography. This is very different yeah. than the drive I just made in. Um, so I always wondered if they were on that train, uh, and I don't know if the train was there even in 1892. Do you know if it was? Well, no, no, I can tell you it probably was not. And, and the story that uh, I have uh, gleaned over the years and I can't tell you, I can't give you a source on it, was that McDonald, McDonald was a, uh, and his Chicago club people were high profile people. They, McDonald himself was a member of the Board of Trade. So the story goes that I learned throughout the years was that he had some pull and he actually, uh, Chicago club had the station put in at Belmont to accommodate their needs to get out there on the weekends. Ah, that, that makes sense. So it, the it, golf course it, first and then the train. It does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I just, anyone who uh, is a golfer has had that experience of driving down the road and looking out a side of the, the car and saying, oh yeah, there's a golf course right there. And I, yeah. I just wondered yeah. if the same thing worked for train rides. <laughs> well, I think, I, think, I think eventually it did, but it, but it got them out there. And, uh, and, and they, need, they need their stop to play. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, you know, I, I haven't done, um, I'm a very amateur historian, but I do enjoy this stuff a lot, as you can tell just from my excitement talking to you. Uh, but I have read just C.B. McDonald being a very imposing figure, mm -hmm. uh, opinionated, strong-minded. Um, what, what are your impressions of him from what you've read? Uh, the, the same as yours. Um, he was not, I, I, I would actually say, he was kind of a scoundrel kind of guy. Uh, a very ill-tempered, um, 
wanted his own way. And actually, his courses were designed. He was he had a uh, from what I understand, he had a very bad slice. So his courses, and you can look at the architecture. There's an architecture book, um, and I forget. I've got it upstairs, but I, I forget the name of it. But it's uh, it's rather expensive. It runs about five hundred and six hundred bucks on eBay about McDonald's architecture. And if you look at his designs of courses, they generally favor the um, the right leg, the right dog leg. He likes a right dog leg because of his slice. Uh, whether that that is true or not, I'm not sure. But um, back to your original question on McDonald, uh, I, I believe in 1894 there was a, a tournament b before the first official open, um, and McDonald lost to another fella, and, and I don't recall his name at this point in time. So the next year, what they do is they the five found there's five clubs, and the five clubs get together and in order to um, present this tournament for the championship golfer in the United States. And those five clubs eventually created the USGA. Um, and I, I know several of them. Um, I'm sure your listeners can perhaps look them up, but Shinnecock is one of them. Uh, I believe the first president was Hoyer. And McDonald, because he lost in 1894, wanted this official tournament which of course he went on to win in 1895 and became the first official USGA Open Championship champion. Wow. Yeah. So that's and in Chicago Golf Club being the farthest western stretching uh, part of that. Maybe the only of the first five. I'm not actually. Oh yeah, sure yeah. They, they were mostly on the East Coast, right? Right. Makes sense. So the. The orders of operations in, in the, the, the golf course, it, it sounded like 1892, they built, uh, as you mentioned, Charles gets his friends to chip in. They build nine holes. It sounds like 1893, they built the additional nine. And then what year did they move uh, to Wheaton? They moved in 1895. Uh, they, they, they bought, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, sure. 1892, you're correct. They, they had nine holes. In, 18, in the spring of 1893, they added nine more. And I would imagine these are very rudimentary golf holes. But it gave them the first 18. The state of Illinois, and this is a very, a very interesting point, the state of Illinois, uh, and I have the document, incorporated Chicago Golf Club on July 18, 1893, which is my substantiation for them being the first 18-hole course in America. Uh, it's also noted in McDonald's book, um, which was published before all of the original members were dead, that said that this was the first 18. Uh, so, and no one ever objected to that. So it, I think it's pretty, for those of us who put the facts together, it's pretty apparent that this was the site of the first, the first 18. So, um, and my point, I've lost my point. What was my point again? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure, but my, 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 my hyperbole is, is going on and on. So. <laughs> Don't, if, if, if you're, if you're prone to hyperbole, we're in trouble. Cause I, I certainly <laughs> am. Um, I, what I was going to get to is I was, it seemed like, uh, it wasn't 18 holes, even though it was the first, obviously with the documentation, it was the first 18 hole, uh, course in, in the country, but it wasn't 18 holes for long. Well, I think, uh, and the, the history is very sketchy on that. I believe after, um, 
after Chicago Golf moved out, the Belmont Club was created, and Herbert Tweedy, another big early figure in golf course architecture, uh, became president. And I believe they redesigned the course to be only nine holes. Okay. Tweedy was there after a while. I didn't realize that. Is he Tweedy, Tweedy, Tweedy was an original, original member of the Chicago Club. Ah, okay. And he, he decided to stay and not, not go to Wheaton. And he's responsible for some great golf courses around Chicagoland, as we, many of us will know, Flossmoor and Midlothian. Right. And uh, yeah. there's about 10 or 12 others. He was, he was a pretty imposing figure himself. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like this group was, uh, what a, what a crew they ran with. Um, what, uh, so, so what year did it do? So it's unclear then what year it, re- it went back to nine. No, I, I believe it was, I believe it was probably 1895, um, because of Tweedy's, Tweedy's influence. I have information there's, there's from 1901. There's a, there's a book out there and it's available on eBay. It's called the 1901 green book. And the 1901 green book has information on all of the Chicago area golf courses. Uh, and it's really a, a fascinating read for people that might be interested in some of the histories of their courses. Um, we, we have uh, pulled photographs and um, information out of there that have been used in our history display at Donner's Grove. But it's, it's the earliest information that we really have, uh, other than some things I've been able to pull together from the New York Times and um, some of the publications across America on McDonald. Very neat. Yeah, the, I think the uh, your your site or maybe it was in the the archives that you guys are are keeping there. Um, that, that there was even back then there was a housing development that was trying to come in on the golf course. I mean, no, I'm, actually I'm confusing stories. I'm sorry. I, I'm what journalism? I'm thinking of another uh, article I read about you who were, were fending off a development, kind of impeding on. I don't even think it was a golf course. I think it was. Um, some other uh, <laughs> property that was owned by the park district. Yeah, we, we, we've had some interesting uh, political dilemmas in, in my career, but this more related to housing developments. And had the Downers Grove Park District in 1968 not bought this property from a private owner, uh, which I can tell you about the private ownership also, um, had they not bought it, I am convinced today that it would be a housing development. There's no, there's no doubt about it in my mind. Yeah, that, that's where I was getting. I just want to commend you for defending uh, our, our green spaces and nature. I mean, that's something we're very passionate about at New Club is conservation and um, getting people outdoors. So kudos to you for, for doing that. You're, you're my kind of guys. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. big on it. Uh, so, so continue on. Just where, where did Downers Grove kind of go from there? You know, after it returns to, to nine holes, uh, I know it had a, a very kind of clustered future from from that point on right well it was it was it it became the belmont golf club after chicago vacated and then there was another club after that that came in it was called the illinois club and i'm not there's very sketchy information on both of those clubs um after that the depression came in and in 1934 or so uh the greenskeeper I think the bank owned the property at that point, and the green keep the greenskeeper had been maintaining it. And I imagine working for the bank at that point in time, uh, he eventually purchased the property uh, at that time, and ran it privately from '34 to '68, where he decided to 
um, get out of the business and the park district and he were able to um, um, get in the way of a housing developer and buy the property. And in 1968, the park in the Downers Grove Park District took over and um, ran it until running it, but uh, until I came in 1978 um, and we started to make some, some massive changes. Yeah, it, it sounds like it, it was the savior, uh, bringing someone who's going to pr- protect it and look after it. And for, you know, regardless of people's opinion on, on what changes were made, what weren't made, uh, anywhere that's doing over 50,000 rounds is a place that is valued by, you know, a community because that is, uh, I don't think people, people might not be able to put that into perspective of just what, how many rounds of golf that is in the course of a year with weather and our short season. And then on top of it, looking at the conditions, um, I think that number, I, I didn't know that, that you guys were consistently doing that. that we're, 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 we're not doing that anymore. But, but in, until the year 2001, the Downers Grove Park District ran around 58, 59,000 golf rounds in, in the heyday. But in, after 9-11, as you are probably aware, golf started to slide. Internet came on, uh, a lot of electronic um, media came around and golf started to slide and golf slid up until this year when COVID hit. And now all of a sudden COVID hit and people are rediscovering golf and outdoor activities. And, uh, but we slid from, I, I think 59,000 golf rounds at our high or maybe 60,000 golf rounds. We slid down to probably 30, 32,000 golf rounds and we were doing good. We were on the good side. Downers Grove, Downers Grove was good. There's other courses we're down to 20,000 golf rounds and 15,000 golf rounds. And, um, uh, the, so if there's uh, something encouraging that's come out of the COVID, it's that we've um, maybe stepped back a little bit from all this other stuff and we're getting outside and enjoying some things. Um, it's fascinating, isn't it? That it, it is taking a pandemic to maybe get folks back out there, but um, you know, hopefully it sticks. Hopefully people, realize that it can help them even in good times and, and getting out in nature's uh, probably the right move for more of us. Yep. It's, it's a great sport. It's a great opportunity. Uh, it's reasonable. Um, I like it. So because we'll be there on Saturday, I wanted to try to, to uh, ma- match, if you will, the old course uh, that was built for Chicago golf with the nine holes that exist today. So, so what can you tell us about, um, well, for, well, first, before we get to specific tees and greens, cause I, I want to get that from you. Uh, there is an image of the original layout that you guys have on the website uh, for Downs Grove golf club. And, and just as you mentioned it, it, I mean, the, the picture is, it says circa 1901, links of the Belmont Golf Club. So I'd imagine this is the uh, most uh, dated version of an aerial, <laughs> if you will, if you want to call it that, but it's just a sketch. Uh, but the holes do appear uh, very rudimentary, um, like you, as you mentioned. Uh, what, what, what do you know about that original layout from what you've read? Uh, and, and, and then we'll kind of transition from, from those comments into, to what's there today. Well, well, the, the layout you're talking about was, I believe the the Tweety redesign. Oh, it was. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, there was a layout 
prior to that that uh, had uh, holes, I believe, three and four and perhaps five going off course off the property today. Uh, small, it, it's in, there's a history book at the golf course that I put together. Um, it's, it's in a black binder. Uh, before I before I retired, we made sure we had that. Um, and there's a couple of sketches in there from some some old, some old caddies that contacted me 30 or 40 years ago. And these guys were 80 or 90 at the time. Um, that demonstrate the the whole configurations were different. Um, and they went off course and came back on course. So I th I think the the 1901 Green Book reflects Tweedy Tweedy's redesign. Um, the other um, holes were probably closer to the uh, or were part of the first 18. Uh, but again, as we talked previously, the the it's my concept, and and I think it's per per perfectly reasonable to assume that. Uh, they would play uh, certain tees to certain greens, and you could use the same tee and hit to the eighth green, and the same tee and hit to the sixth green, and you might call it two different holes. Um, that's probably what, what I would have done if I were them, uh, rather than to create, um, you know, totally uh, a new a new set of nine holes. But but we don't know. I think I I would love. I've, I've tried for years to get my hands on McDonald's papers. To see if there's anything in it. I believe the USGA has them. Uh, I can't get into them uh, to get any access to what McDonald may have left. Um, but I would encourage anybody that has any um, any hootspot to try to get into the USGA and see what's in their archives. You never know who's listening to our little podcast. You know, right. uh, it does. It seems like Bryson DeChambeau might have the keys to that castle soon. I mean, he's just. He might. You know, he's working his way, uh, just tearing down another uh, national organization through uh, his play. But um, no, that's as, that, I, as as I had mentioned, I, I've been in contact with Ben Crenshaw, and if if he indeed uh, has the time, and uh, once the the virus is under control, if he has the time uh, to come out and take a little tour down his grove, I'm going to talk to him about that also because I'm sure he can get in those archives. So um, how did how did that conversation come to be with uh, with Mr. Crenshaw? Well, I I, uh, I see him as the the unofficial golf historian. He's very interested in the history of golf. He is an honorary member of Chicago Golf Club, and I and I knew that uh, several years ago. And I, I've um, recently been in correspondence with him um, and got a nice personalized note back saying, you know, if he gets a chance once this COVID thing is over, he's gonna. He's going to try to come out and take a look at Downers Grove and decide the first 18. Uh, I had tried years ago too and had worked with his manager and I really didn't get any response at all. Uh, but recently he seems very interested and I'd, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to get him out there and show him what we have and see if he can assist in maybe digging up some of this McDonald material because it's got to be out there someplace. Somebody's got it. I'm so just not sure who. The, uh, that's really interesting. First, with with Ben Crenshaw, I mean, what a set of eyes to have on on your uh, your property there, and yeah. and uh, or or the Park District's property. And uh, I know he's very passionate about municipal golf too, and, and golf for the public uh, with his projects in Austin and the, the Save Muni project they're doing down there. Right. Um, that's really neat. I was uh, my next thought on that was. Uh, a clarifying point. So you said different tees, different greens. Are you saying that the potentially the original first site of an 18 hole golf course in America was 
relatively in the same uh, vicinity that that the nine holes sat on, with a couple exceptions of the third, like you said, that go just off of, of current property. Is is that true? I, I don't know if it's true. Um, uh, it's my speculation. Is your assertion on that true? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's my speculation that, okay, that, speculation that that it would be reasonable to say if you have one tee and you've got two greens relatively close that you might play those as two different holes. But I don't know. But I don't know. But we do know some of the holes went off property. Right. But we can't, we can't find um, any any sketches of the first 18, uh, which I would hope to find in McDonald's archives someplace. Well, uh, if, it if it wouldn't that be interesting, it would. would find that. And, and uh, now I'm, my, my curiosity is it was peaked enough. Now it's really peaked. Cause if you think of his influences and coming from Scotland, the home of golf, there's plenty of examples where that is the case, shared tees and shared greens. Uh, the old course being the most famous. So I, I would love to love to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun. Uh, so of the current holes, I, I think it's, it's published that two, four, seven, eight, and nine are the uh, original um, Charles Blair McDonald's. Correct. Um, I, I don't know what publication you're uh, referring to. I can give you my own opinion um, based on what, I, you know, the various sketches that I've seen, including the old caddies. But, but I can tell you, uh, here's, and I wrote it down. I, I reviewed it again today because there's some speculation on this. But I can tell you the original T's, uh, original T on one, four, and six original now, i'd have to point those out to you because the you know, you know for example the t on six that i say is original is now the red t mm. it's going to be nowhere near you're going to play on on saturday so i have to take you over there and show you where it's at but <laughs> but i can tell you whole seven eight and nine i believe to be all original certain certain t's uh, again there's right. multiple there's multiple t complexes on these holes now because of uh, our ability or our, our wish to um, be attractive to uh, multiple layers of golfers. So. Mm -hmm. Yep. As, as it should be. But those definitely are the, the three that kind of uh, seven, eight, seven, eight, nine, you can be pure on those. Those are pure. Yeah. At yeah, least I, as, at least as far back as we can go. Yeah. From, from you know, just playing a, a lot of the uh, real venerable sites that have, you know, been built by either Charles Blair McDonald or, or influenced by him. When you get to those three holes, it, it does kind of scream at you. Yeah, this is probably exactly as they, they were intending it to go. Uh, right. I, I think a couple of those others, which, which would make sense to me now. So you don't consider um, two to be an original. Well, I, I don't. That's based on the, the caddies that provided some information and some sketches of, of four of the holes, three or four of the holes that went off course. Okay. And two, two didn't exist at the time. In, in the same, in, in, in paralleling number one, it went off to the west. So you've got nine coming down, one going out. Two currently comes back down, but two back in the old days went west. It, it's in the book. If you if you get a chance, look under local local uh, local history when you're out there on Saturday, uh, and you'll oh. you'll see you'll see the diagrams. I might have to 
postpone my tea time. I might just go straight to the book and just well, hang out there. I, I would suggest you grab a beer and look at the book and then, uh, and, and then, and then hit the, hit the tea. Oh no, that's, that's, uh, I think everybody listening will probably get, gander at that, that once we get there on Saturday, um, with, uh, with, so I've speculated that one green, which I think is one of the best greens on the golf course. I speculated that that could be an original green, which I can't remember who I was playing with, but they said, you know, t- definitely not. Can, can you give me any, I'll, 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 I'll trust your opinion. Do you think it had any chance of being an original green? No. Okay. Uh, the, the original, at least in 1901, uh, we, we trace hole number one back to 335 yards. And there's a ridge on that first fairway, maybe a little bit beyond the ridge is where the original green was, and then they backed it up at some point in time. I'm not sure when, uh, but it was backed up. I think that hole is, uh, I'm not sure the yardage. It's over 400 yards at this point. So if you look at the green where it's at and you come back towards the tee another 75 yards, right in that general location would have been, would have been the first, uh, the original green. Going from, I'll just work through the nine with my questions here. Okay. Uh, we already touched on two. Um, four T you said had was the original T. Do you have any speculation on where the green was then? I think I think the green may be original also. Four um, T as you're approaching the four T complex. There's a complex on the left and a complex on the right. The T I'm talking about is on the right, and it's set back uh, just just to the east of the third green. Mm. That's that's the TM ca- talking about. So it's not mm. a dog leg. At that point, it's not a dog leg. It's a straight hole. Straight straight on hole, yeah. Right. Um, so I believe that that could be original. I'd, I'd have to look back at my caddy sketches again and see if it fits with what I what I think. But um, I, I believe that's that's original. But it's more fun to play as a dog leg left. <laughs> I mean, we can talk history or we can talk fun, but... You, you know, it, you know the dog leg left. You get put a little draw on the ball to, to get it down there, and it's it's a it's a nice golf hole. Yeah, it's one of my favorites out there. Uh, I really do enjoy that golf hole. Now the next one, I think some have said the next one just has felt out of place. Uh, f- five, so it's it's definitely not an original. So I don't mean this from talking a architectural standpoint. Right. I just wanted to get your opinion on it. What do you think of the fifth hole? <laughs> well, I, I love the fifth hole. Uh, the fifth hole, the redesign in 1992, that's the only target golf hole on the, on the course. It was designed by a, a fellow named uh, Dave Gill and Steve Halbert. Um, we utilized property that wasn't being utilized uh, at that point in time, and it replaced a 260-yard par four. Uh, so the original tee on what we call six at that point in time hit to the same green that is now the sixth green. Um, it's easier to show you than try to explain it to you, but um, for playability, uh, to give guys like you, a, a young guy with uh, that's probably a good golfer that, that wants a little bit of a challenge, we had to do that because you're gonna you're gonna hit an eight iron to 264 yards and hit that green where it was before. We had to make significant changes in order to keep up with the technology changes. Um, so I I think the fifth hole is great. A dog leg left is most of us are faders or are slightly uh, slicing the ball. 
uh, a dogleg left is, is, a, is a good golf hole. So now, now you've got a, you know, a three wood pitching wedge. It's, it's better than a 260 yard par four. Yeah. As, as many have had to do to keep up with technology. And I, I do right. love the, uh, the, I think it's fescue grasses that kind of sit behind that green. And I know on a you know sunny fall day, it, it, it pops. It's got a nice contrast to it. I actually, I love that feature out there. There's some, um, and I, I think we need to do a little, uh, again, I'm retired now, so I don't want to sound like a guy overlooking things, but we need to do a little, do a little better job maintaining those natural areas. Uh, they were originally intended to be, to be blue stem prairie grasses, which are original to the Illinois prairies. Um, and we had them planted and maintained fairly well uh, for a long period of time. And now we've got some invasives coming in, so they're not quite as pure as they used to be. Um, but if you look on the left-hand side of eight, you'll see the blue st- and the right-hand side of two at the T, you'll see these beautiful blue stem prairie grasses, which are almost red at this yeah. point. Uh, just beautiful, beautiful, yeah, beautiful. grasses. Uh, and they're maintained by burning. Right. You, you, you have to burn them to get rid of the invasives because they're, I won't go into the science of it, but you just have to burn them to make them look good. <laughs> you uh, can. It's uh yeah, I, I've heard that. You know, when when you plant those beautiful areas, uh, that's the trick, right? Is to right. it's keeping them that way. That's the challenge, right? Um, is burning? I, I'm, I just is. I know you're not the superintendent, and like you said, you're you're not overseeing it anymore. But uh, is maintaining that area through a burn as as the common practice? Is that an expensive endeavor, or is it really just controlled? It, it's called a, it's called a controlled burn. You have to get a permit to do it. Um, and you don't do them all in one year. You do various sections because you have fauna or wildlife living in various sections of those natural areas. So you, you know, if they get pushed out of one, they can go and live in another one. Uh, so you do them on a rotating basis in order to maintain and allow the fauna to have a life uh, as well as maintain the ecosystem. Interesting. Yeah. Or back to to the the routing. Well, the last three holes, as as we already noted, is um, just a phenomenal stretch of golf. Frankly, it's uh, you know seven. I would put up there with any one of the hardest par fours in the in the section. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, especially and from the blues. If you go all the way back, and if you don't have a controlled right, right to left ball flight, um, it is you know, buckle up because that is a, it's a long hole, just up, up that, that grade and the way that the green sits and the ball can come straight back at you. Yeah, green, green, green's tough too. That, that, the, 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 the slope on that green is tough. Just like one is tough. Seven is tough. Five. They're all tough. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they've got some slope to them. So that, that hole and, and knowing now that it was indeed an original, I think that, uh, it kind of adds to it. That's, that's neat. I, I couldn't imagine playing that hole with, uh, you know, some hickories in 1892 or whatever it was. Yeah. It'd be fun. There's a, when you get out there uh, Saturday, there's a, I collected four golf balls over a period of time. There's one I want you to pay attention to. It's, it's mounted on the wall and it's, it's a, uh, a gutta percha that we uncovered probably in the eighties um, when we were planting a tree on hole number five at the time, it's now hole number four. Um, and the, the, the gutta is, the, the gutta is dated back to 1892. 
wow. in that period. So it could have been McDonald's ball. It could have been. <laughs> it's from that period. And as we were digging a hole for a tree with a, with a backhoe, um, we uncovered this golf ball. And I kept it all those years and uh, recently uh, gave it back, donated it back to the club so people can come out there and at least take a look at it. A, a legitimate uh, buried treasure. That's pretty neat. It really was for those of us interested in this kind of thing. The um, I'd love to. I, not, now I want to tell everybody that we're playing with gutter perches on Saturday. We'll go find your original <laughs> tees that you're laying out. I'll, I don't think you can find butter gutter perches on the internet anymore, but maybe. I, I, I think you can. And I, I think your idea about hickories um, are a great idea. We had a, a, before I retired, we had a group come out. The It was the Hickory Association Golf. They had a golf event out there. And then these guys play hickory golf clubs. And some of them, believe it or not, are, are, are quite proficient with these things. Oh, I've seen it. They're, they're, uh, uh, this, this is a trend that's really caught on. A lot of yeah. golfers are, are doing it. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's like, a return to simpler times maybe, or, uh, the craft of it, you know, the craftsmen, yeah. uh, I think really are attracted to playing with, uh, with those clubs. But, um, that's a lot of golf course today to take on with Hickory. I know that especially seven. Well, you might have to play the red tee. So <laughs> keep pace, keep place of pace of play moving. Right. Uh, my question on eight, and I was curious cause it's a, you know, a very scenic, uh, wonderful par three that looks over the uh, the golf course if you're on the tee on the far left um what do you have any you specu speculation you, on where the original tee was for are you, talking, are you are you talking about the upper tee yes the upper tee and, and the lower do you, do you have any idea which one you think yes. would be the original the lower tee on the right the furthest back one on the right so it's the one right by the drinking fountain is is the is the one that I believe is original. The one on the upper tier where you go up the hill, um, when I was building the recreation center, which is adjacent to the golf course, the contractor came to me and said, we've, we've, you know, the civil engineer made an error in the cut and we've got a foot of cut that we have to get rid of. And I said, no, you're kidding me. I said, what's a, a foot of dirt that he's got to take off the, the layer and get rid of it. And I said, uh, What's it going to cost? He said fifty or sixty thousand dollars. I said, "You're kidding me, really?" Now I've got to go back to my political people, my five elected people, and ask them for sixty grand more on it. On, I've already got twelve million in the project. And I said, "Really?" I said sixty thousand dollars. And he said, "Yep." I said, "Okay, uh, can you lose it on site?" He said, "No." I said, "Can you lose it on the golf course?" He said, "Possibly." I said, "Can you build me a tee?" He said, "Yes." I said, "How much?" He said, "Nothing." I said, "Fine, build the tee." <laughs> so that's how that upper T got there. Oh, oh, that's great. So it is good. And, and a lot of, follow a lot the of money. Yeah, uh, it answers all the questions. You got to follow the money. A, a lot of people like that upper T. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of it myself. Um, if, and I actually would like to redo it and move it a little bit closer and kind of re reconfigure it. Um, but a lot of people think that's a great, great, uh, a very great experience. Yeah. I, I, I had a feeling that the, the lower tees would be uh, original. You know, if you're a purist of, of how golf plays versus how it looks, you're going to say, you're going to look right. at that hole. And I've, I've, I've heard uh, some of our golf architecture folks say it was probably a Redan at, at a time, one of Charles Blair McDonald's uh, template par threes. And, and you can see that you can kind of see the slopes and, and for it to play that way, you're probably hitting from a, 
equal or even lower, you know, uh, spot on, on a teen ground. Right. But I, I understand what the, all those other people are saying. Cause it, it really is a, one of my favorite pictures I took of 2019 was on top of that, um, on top of that tee box. Cause you see the whole golf course. It was a beautiful sunset. Right. It's, it's very, you know, for each, for each of their own, I suppose. Right. You know, you're talking about McDonald, you know, I think of the time when he, he did this rudimentary design at Downers Grove, Chicago golf club. I don't think he had any experience in designing um, golf holes. I think he had experiences playing golf in Scotland. So he probably took what he thought uh, might make a, a nice, at least beginning layout for a, for a, for a, for a embryonic golf course. I really don't think he had much established thought uh, at that point in time. That's fat. That's fascinating to think about. I guess that never occurred to me, but when you think of timelines and everything and his, his partnerships with his associate, Seth Rayner, who, was an engineer he was a builder right right he, right it, it probably didn't really take shape until uh he he was involved but but i i understand as a golfer you see a hole and, and you kind of think that would be fun but it doesn't mean you know how to build it doesn't mean you know how to you know no, and, I, and i think i think this this was a, a I think, and this is all speculation on my part, but I think it was initially, uh, uh, you know, fellas, let's go golf. Let's drink some whiskey, play some cards, have some fun, uh, get out, you know, get out of the, get out of the city for, uh, for a weekend. And I don't think, uh, I think it evolved into something much more than what it started out being. This is, and again, we'll, we'll uh, appreciate that <laughs> it is all speculation and not hold you to any of it. Right. But I, I think this is a really, uh, fascinating discussion for me, Dang, because it, I think a lot of us will build up these historical um, people. I mean, our game is great. We talk about hyperbole. Our game is right. great at it, and we think everyone right. that came before us was smarter than uh, you know than we were. But that that really does it's a, it's a big contrast to maybe what my ideal of CB McDonald was. Uh, not that I think any any less of the 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 you know, grandfather of, uh, of, uh, American golf. But I do think, you know, in some way in my, uh, my brain, it was, these guys are picking soil samples and making sure that, you know, this is the appropriate turf to be building a golf course on. And they're, you know, going through this painstaking process that we see today with our golf course architects, but, you know, maybe it was simple. Maybe it was just. He's, he's a 35 year old board of trade guy hanging out with his buddies, love the game, like to drink, like to play cards. Um, I'm, if he was like me when I was that age, I mean, he's, he's the same kind of guy I was. We're out to have a good time. Let's, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you, re if you really think about it, he had no formal training in any of that. So yeah. um, I, I think he eventually, it, 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 he morphed into a, a great golf course architect in some people's opinions, but uh, I don't think he started out that way. Well, I am that age, and, and now you're making me want to go build a golf course and see, <laughs> see what I can do. I just say have, have fun with your friends. Have that's fun with your the, friends. That's it. Um, well, this has been fascinating. Is there any other uh, tidbits that you have enjoyed over the years of um, you know, doing this research? Of, of, uh, it sounds like it's just been a, a 
passion hobby of yours for a long time. Is there anything else that you've uncovered that you think is fun to share? You know, I, 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 I would direct you to the, to the 400 or so page history book that I put together. And it's just a compilation of anything that I could find on, on this subject. New York Times articles, different articles from USGA, um, uh, Vanity Fair. There's, there's multiple articles in this, this little history diatribe that, that I put together. Um, and some photographs, too. So that, that I think people that are interested in this thing might, might find it. Uh, might find it fascinating to look through. Most people take a look at the book and they, they look at it for five or 10 minutes, but there's some really interesting stuff in there. Um, no, I, I really don't have much else. We, uh, we, we did that uh, a big course renovation in 1992 where we put the driving range in. Um, prior to that, it had been um, just a hitting range with a wetland below, and that was when the wetland legislation came in. We had to move the wetland from the driving range over to holes, current holes five and six, uh, which was a massive um, endeavor, and create a whole new ecological system over there. Uh, the greens are all USGA spec greens. The reason that is because when we're building, when we're in this rebuild, um, a person came out and destroyed seven of the greens with some kind of chemical. Mm. And at the time, it was uh, unfortunate because we had soil-based greens, and they were maintainable, but we had not planned on adding to the expense of the earth move by putting in all new greens. But what it forced us to do was to redo every green out there uh, and get rid of the soil-based and use a USJ spec green, which is much easier to maintain and much, much more playable. Uh, so that's one of the good things that came out of a bad situation. Um, but um, I, no, I, re I really don't have much more for you. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. It's a great nine hole. I'll put that nine hole up against anything in the country. Our, our golf course superintendent does a great job maintaining. Um, not to say I wouldn't change a few things, but I, you know, I'm retired now, so I, I've got to kind of watch myself. Uh, the, the pro, Ken McCormick, is a great guy, wonderful. You're gonna, if you haven't met him, you will meet him uh, on Saturday. He'll take tremendous care of you. Uh, he's um, getting into the history of this golf course also, which, which I'm happy about. Um, but no, I've got nothing else. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you fellows, if I, if I have a chance, I might stop out and see if I can say hi to you on Saturday. That, that was going to be uh, a question for you. I would love to, to have you join us for a few holes. Uh, I, I might do point it. out those tees so we don't miss them. I, I do have, uh, they do treat me very well out there. So uh, I, I, may, I may just grab a wedge and come out and hit a hole or two with you. Who knows? Well, I'd, I'd hope they would. You, you put in the time uh, yeah. for the place and for the park district. And, um, you know, I, I know of uh, a handful of our members that, you know, love the game of golf, who live in close proximity to the, the Downers Grove Nine. And um, not only is it big for them, they're now introducing their kids. Uh, you know, we're a younger membership. A lot of people are now uh, relocating the suburbs, having children. And the, the combination of having the driving range, having the putting green, have, having a place that uh, their kids can get into the game. And, and it's so welcoming. Every time we've been out there, it's so welcoming. You can just see all, all walks of life. So uh, I just want to say thanks to you for putting in all that time. And, and it, I know it wasn't just golf, but uh, I think golf is a, an important part of, of the overall mix for, for a community. And uh, it really is important work. So thank you for, for everything you've done. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. And uh, it, it's been a pleasure today. 
uh, and I hope you had a, have a great time on, on Saturday. That we will. Well, we'll talk to yeah. you soon. Thanks, Okay. Dan. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Half Day CBD. Personally, I started using Half Day CBD products a little more than a year ago to assist in three key areas. I use the Half Day oils as part of my bedtime ritual. I like to use the Half Day topical relief creams for my knees, which always start to ache around this time in the golf season. And I use the Half Day CBD gummies as a way to curb some of my first tee jitters before an especially nervy match or tournament. Using the link in our show notes, you can now check out their full line of hemp-derived CBD products. And with the promo code NEWCLUB15, you'll receive an additional 15% off your first order. You'll also see some of the half-day staffers at our upcoming tournaments and events for the second half of the golf season. So if you're interested in the use of CBD products or just curious about the benefits for yourself, I encourage you to say hello and check them out.